Well, good morning. How are you all doing this morning? Doing good. 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 Well, it's good to to uh, to be back on with you all again, and good to be able to talk about some of these things we want to talk about today. And uh, and we are we've got some pretty big ticket items to talk about. Uh, you know, as I was thinking about this this morning and kind of going back over a couple of notes I made and things like that, I was wondering if we should title this podcast, which I know we're not into titling podcasts, but but maybe a good title for this podcast would be You the Man. How about that? Okay. Well, I'll, I'll go with that. <laughs> yeah. So, man, we're, we're talking about uh, the doctrine of man today and different aspects about it. And in particularly, we've already talked about the image of God in man. Uh, we've done that in two parts. And so today we want to look at the third part, which here we're going to be getting down into the, the systematic theology aspect of it and practical theology. So it's going to be, it's going to be very uh, sort of, uh you know cookies on the bottom shelf uh type of thing what 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 does it really matter we kind of asked that question before but what does it really matter that man is created in the image of god and then we want to move from there to really talk about a hot topic that is at the forefront of our culture today and that is uh, gender and sexuality Uh, we want to talk about that what does it mean for man to be made in the image of god and for god to have made him male and female in fact, that's what it says in Genesis. God created man in his image, and the image of God created he, him, male and female created he, them. And so we want to talk about that aspect as well. And then we want to start talking about getting really focused on on man and, and actually who man is. And so we want to talk about the constitution of man. What 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 makes up a man? What are what are the constituent parts? What uh, what is his makeup? And so we want to look at that as well. And so we want to kick the whole thing off by kind of concluding our general talk about the image of God. And again, we've talked to, uh, in this in a couple of parts. We've looked at the biblical data. We've looked at the exegetical. We've looked at objections that people would have to to man being made in the image of God and, and what that would consist of as far as the definition. We've looked at church history. We've looked at all those aspects. And so now we really want to get down to the systematic and practical theology of it to say, well, what is a good systematic theology of the doctrine of man to have? And what practical difference does it make in the life? And so uh, we want to throw that out to uh to will will you want to kind of lead us off in that brother yeah so in the last few chapters um they discussed the image of god in a couple of different contexts first was the constitutional perspectives on god's image and that would be his physical image his mental image the mental image versus a moral likeness and his moral image and then so that makes up the constitutional perspective on god's image and then there's the functional perspective on God's image, which is the royal image or a relational image and the righteous dynamic image. But the chapter 10 really kicks off with uh, kind of the historic and even modern reformed view on the image of God as being not just constitutional and not just being functional, but being a holistic view of the image of God. Mm. And so it, um, whenever I study uh I learned this in college. You go to the end. You start with the end of the chapter because the end of the chapter has, uh, especially on a textbook, has questions for 
your meditation or reflection is what this one has, or they basically give you good summary questions so that kind of helps you frame your mind on what you're expecting to learn through the chapter. And the very first question is, what do the authors mean by the holistic view of God's image in man? And so the, the author in the last couple of chapters had been kind of breaking down these different aspects, but really what they do in this chapter is tie it all together and talk with uh, John Calvin. He regarded the image of God as a summary of the whole excellence by which man's nature towers over all the kinds of living creatures. Uh, the core of the image is the illumination of the mind with the truth and righteousness of the heart. Paul implies this when he writes that God renewed the image through Christ's regenerating and sanctifying grace. So our image or being created in the image of God is not just in our mental capacities. It's not just in our, um, our physical being, but also it's, it's the whole thing. It's every aspect of our life was created in the image of God. And then the chapter goes on to describe how through the fall, that image of God got corrupted. And I think the most beautiful illustration here is actually it's towards the end of the chapter. And it's when it's discussing the unity of the holistic image, it's, it's talking about like we're not looking at parts, but the whole thing. And he talked about on page 199, they compared the image of God to the temple in the Old Testament and how another way to see the unity of God's image is to compare the idea of an image to a divine temple where God's glory dwells visibly as if Genesis, if as Genesis suggests, the image of God is like a temple, then we can imagine it like a structure where God's holy glory dwells in the innermost part and radiates outward as the priests perform their sacred, their sacred service. But even in, if the priesthood falls into idolatry, the glory departs and judgment shatters God's sanctuary. The ruins of the temple remain and await their reconstruction, cleansing, reconsecration, and refilling with glory. Though no longer functioning, it remains the holy temple. Similarly, all the parts of man's being and function were woven together to represent God's presence on earth. And even after the fall ruined us, we remain in God's image. And I think that I think mm. is a beautiful summary of what the image, the holistic view of the image of God is. And yeah. so when the well, sinner gets... I, I, I remember one time hearing, uh, uh, well, actually, I, th I think it was in a journal article I read on, on the image of God a, a couple of months ago where they they gave a good illustration, at least for me, it was a wonderful illustration. They said it's like it's like a windshield that has been cracked severely where you know before the function of the windshield was for you to be able to look out and see everything clearly as you're driving but now uh, imagine a windshield that is just full of cracks and now it's it's hard for you to to see where you're going difficult and really obscures and and you may not see things actually clearly the way you should see those and that for me was very helpful when you think about the image of god how we have these things that god has given to us yet because of the fall just like you said with the temple illustration there uh, it's still there but yet it is it is so destroyed you you can't functionally you cannot carry on the way you did before the fall before the image was marred in man yeah i i, I was thinking of it as like a beautiful painting that had been destroyed over time mm. through neglect and mistreatment and when we come to christ 
he begins that restorative work in the painting, restoring it to its proper image. I don't know if you guys have ever seen anybody do art restoration before, but that's pretty cool to see how they match oils with the temp with the time frame and they do all these things to it's a painstaking process to re not recreate but to restore this uh beautiful piece of art to its original beauty um and i feel like that that was another image that came to mind when i was reading this chapter was that every aspect of us is created in god's image hmm. but through corruption or be, through the fall it's all been corrupted and then when we come to Christ, that restoration begins, but it won't fully end until glory, until we see God in face to face, until or until Christ returns. Mm -hmm. Um. So from there, you talked about the. I just mentioned the unity of the holistic image, but he's also talking about. Um, and this is one of my favorite things is the practical implication of man as God's image. Uh, it begins with saying on page 200, life is not absurd and meaningless. People are not disposable things to be used and then discarded when no longer useful. Neither is humanity. Another link in the chain of evolutionary progress destined to be replaced by a more advanced creature. God created man in his image. The human race, therefore, is the pinnacle of God's earthly creation. Man has purpose, and that purpose is inseparably intertwined with the God who created him. So we started coming up with um, implications of that statement, implications of the fact that we were created in God's image. And uh, several of the, I'm just going to run through the list and we can talk about it. Sanctity is the first one that from the womb to senile old age, Flies the glorious banner, whoso sheddeth man's blood by man shall his blood be shed for it. In the image of God made he man. And that's Genesis 9, 6. Second, and how we need to, God, I'm sorry. And I was just going to jump in and say, and how we need to hear that today and our, our culture needs to hear that today. Yeah. I mean, we basically live uh, in, a, in a culture of death with, uh, you know, abortion and things like that. And now you're starting to see it you know, leak in from the other side with euthanasia, with, with older, you know, the, the elderly in some parts of the world. Uh, we need to realize this, the, the sanctity of, of, of the human life. And what does that mean? What is behind that? It, it's, it's easy to, to say, you know, that, that human life is sacred, but why is it sacred? And you just, you're giving us the reasons right now. Right. I think one of the most dangerous, um, consequences of the theory of evolution is the devaluing of human life and we're we're seeing that play out now not just in sanctity as far as taking life but even as we see uh morality there's this this uh compartmentalization of you know the moral being versus the physical being and and sexuality and all of these things that uh you're Romans 1 18 is being fulfilled like they're God's giving them over to a depraved mind so they're defiling their bodies they're 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 doing bad things um and violating uh other people and really if you follow an evolutionary perspective then that's just one mammal doing something to another mammal it's not there's no moral implication here but when you see it in the context of the sanctity of life that God was or man was created in God's image then that has real 
tragic consequences. Yeah, and yeah. I like I like what you said, yeah. Will. Where where you say one mammal doing it to another mammal, and and what you're pointing out is that they're, they're being consistent. Right. They're being consistent yeah. with their worldview, and that's why it all goes to the very foundations of uh, of Genesis. You know, go ahead, Marvin. Sorry about that, brother. No, that's all right. Um, well, I guess again, it depends on uh, the view of evolution. I mean, there are those like Tyler Deschardins who, who uh, tried to uh, adopt evolution in terms mm-hmm. of a in terms of a Christian worldview, but the predominant view of evolution, which is basically just a, a struggle of the fittest, a blind uh, a, a blind uh, development towards superiority uh, has within itself uh, power uh, and struggle as the very means of it. And I think we're seeing that today. I mean, basically, um, we no longer are able to talk about purpose in life in the way that you've talked about. Um, but again, we have come, we've come to the point to where uh, the natural implication, well, as you said, is that power and struggle are all we have left. And so we're seeing that in, in culture and in government and in all kinds of ways right now. Uh, there, there is no such thing as rational persuasion anymore. Mm-hmm. So the next one was spirituality. God is a spirit. Man created in his image reflects the spirituality as a being made to worship and seek transcendent glory. And there's a big push in our society today to talk about um, rationalism and how there is no spiritual realm there is no um uh we are just matter and energy right and that's that's another consequence of evolution but um in reality we were made to worship we were made to to seek something outside of ourselves and that i think the, the funny thing is the person who claims evolutionary perspective they are worshiping science and they are worshiping mm-hmm. their own understanding more than anything. And, but that doesn't, it just proves the point. We're all created to worship. And the only question is, what are you worshiping? Yeah. Yeah. And I would even add what you said, we're created to worship and then, and we do, you know, and you just brought that out, right. you know, uh, yeah. the secularists worship science. Right. Yeah. His last sentence in that, Paragon spirituality sums it up beautifully. Oh, yeah. We are all priests, whether to the Lord or to a false God. Hmm. Yep. Uh, but we are, in addition to being spiritual beings, we are also rational beings. Man is a thinking personal being, just like the glory of, just like the God of Genesis 1. We act with power, wisdom, and goodness. God has mental faculties with by which he thinks, reasons, chooses, According to an orderly plan for the sake of certain goals, man is the same, by mere not by mere instinct, but out of motives using means to attain rational goals. Uh, it's funny too. I, at the end here, I like this: is therefore we must address human beings, even in their fallen state, in a manner that exposes foolish means and wrong and wrong goals, and offers reasons and motives to better embrace to embrace better ones. We must treat people as thinkers. So that's the beauty of of our faith is that it's not just faith at the expense of reason, but it's it's reason and spiritual spirituality and sanctity all in one. You're not 
you're not called to check your your mind at the door when you come to church. Yeah, exactly. It's not uh, like in theological terms, it's not just a, a bare brute fideism where it, you're just taking a leap of faith out in the dark based on nothing. Yeah. Uh, the next one is dignity. And despite human wickedness, the image of God remains in some sense in fallen man. Uh, all bear the image of God. He that oppresses the poor reproaches his maker, but he that honors him hath mercy on the poor. I'm sorry, I'm butchering the King James here. Is a mark of Babylon, the city of destruction, to count the bodies and souls of men among the commodities in which it, tra in which it traffics. People are not commodities for us to use, but images by which we honor God. That's, I think that's important, especially in today's society. Um, in what I do for a living, you see human trafficking on a real level, you know, mm -hmm. even it's, it could be something as mundane as the drug trade um, to actual human trafficking on, in, on the, on the dark web. And um, it's something that, I think more people need to be paying attention to because if we are really created in man's and God's image, then we need to say something. We need to do something, whatever we can to help with this because people were, people have the dignity of being created in God's image. And I think we see that in the wild popularity of the sound of freedom, the, the movie. Yeah. Uh, it, it has really struck a chord. I think, uh, in the very sense that you're talking about, uh, I think a lot of people are awakened to the fact, uh, not not with, with this, not in theory, but in practice, how common it is, uh, not just around the world, where it, it, it's in some cases almost just a lifestyle, uh, but even in the United States among the powerful. And I think that is where we're seeing the greatest pushback from this and trying to censor it and move it back. Again, it's it's part of the larger as part of the larger uh, reaction of just uh, brute force. Uh, your, your previous point on rationality, I think, is great. And, and uh, that's what we're called to do in preaching the gospel is to appeal to the mind, uh, to the mind and the heart. Uh, but again, our opponents don't do that. Also, it's important and to think when you look at the dignity of other people being created and the dignity with dignity in the image of God, excuse me. There's a mantra that we use in the criminal justice system to encourage people to participate in in uh, in helping law enforcement. And, and the mantra is, if you see something, say something. Mm -hmm. You know, and it this is not just this ethereal thing. It's not just something that's happening like on the you know on the dark web. Yep. But when you see somebody at Walmart being beaten, when you see somebody yep. at the Wawa gas station, or when you see a crime being committed against somebody in the, who bears the image of God, mm -hmm. it's your responsibility to do something about it because they were created with dignity. And it's just something I would encourage just the, this isn't just something that we need to fight human trafficking. Yes. But we also need to, realize that there are real everyday implications right. of people being created with with right. dignity that needs to be honored in our churches in our 
in our in, in the streets and in our neighborhoods too. It's a cultural lie for sure. Let me the, throw a little grenade in here if y'all will allow me. Uh, of course, everything y'all said was true, and in, and in and in real life, we want to do that. But uh, what about the aspect of 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 media? What about when we talk about dignity and we talk about these things and we talk about things that should not happen to a human being? What about the person who enjoys watching these things happen to other human beings, violence against them when it's not real? And uh, and I, I don't want to be a legalistic fundamentalist and say something like, well, well no one can ever go to the movies because I know people go to, to, to movies for different reasons. But but I'm just talking specifically about the one, whether they're going to a movie or whether they're playing a, a first shooter video game or things like that. And they enjoy the violence that one person does against another. They want to see it. They want to see it in graphic detail. Uh, how does this play with our doctrine of the dignity of man? Well, I think part of that is, uh, indeed, that's been a problem all along. It was just uh, uh, when we when we were young, in terms of uh, engaging in that kind of behavior, you, you, you couldn't be anonymous and you couldn't do it. You, I mean, you had to go somewhere, get something or things like that. I mean, the fact that we now can, we now can do it from our home. We have a whole library of a whole sub subverse of, of, uh, these kind of things, uh, where you never need to leave the home. I think that's, uh, I think it not only, uh, is insidious, but it also, I think is, and this, I think, probably in the next chapter, Mike's chapter gets into that as well. It's a large part of the struggle we have on gender and sexuality, uh, not only just transsexual, as we say, but even the relationship of men and women. What does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? That, that's yeah. one of the questions in the next chapter. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think from my perspective, it when you were talking about media, the question is the, the question I ask myself is what's the purpose of the movie, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you've got, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's all these A-list action uh, actors, action movie actors like Arnold Schwarzenegger, Sylvester Stallone. I think it's called The Expendables or something like that. Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I think that is the name of it, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's just like you said, it's it's them basically just glorifying violence for the sake yeah. of glorifying violence. But when you look at a movie like Saving Private Ryan that had a lot of grotesque imagery, that wasn't necessarily glorifying violence, but that was depicting a real-life situation that people need to understand the context and, and the gore because there needs to be an understanding of the realities of war. Mm -hmm. And yeah. um, Or if you're watching a movie that Yes, there's violence that's done, but it's done for justice or it's done in a just war theory. Then, you know, the purpose of the movie isn't necessarily just the glorification of violence, but it has violence in it because it's depicting a reality. I think that's OK, but you have to be more discerning than I, I think it's important for people to be discerning about it, because more oftentimes it can just be violence because we, they know that people there's a market that likes that it's just like sexuality yeah you, know, you can be watching a perfectly good movie and then they just throw in a, a sex scene for n no real reason yeah. you know um, well 
Yeah, I, I I haven't seen the movie, but it's on my list. I mean, I, I think Oppenheimer, I think, uh, really kind of addresses well kind of the things you're talking about there. Not just violence in terms of uh, in terms of weaponry and and those kind of things, but the larger issue of um, developing an atomic device that not only would end the Second World War, uh, but as we also know, basically just uh, shape the contours of international relations since yeah. then. I mean, even now, I mean, one of the biggest issues we have in Ukraine uh, it is the fact that Russia Russia has so many so many nuclear weapons. I think Oppenheimer, from what I understand the reviews I've seen, really deals with that struggle in terms of the near gain as opposed to the as opposed to the unintended consequences. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's a part of life as well, uh, is the fact that uh, we need to understand that we need to understand uh, uh, that uh, in terms of mass use of power. And uh, another example I could think of is Schindler's List like yeah. that. That right. movie is very graphic, but also very compelling. And, yeah. right. you know, I think, like I said, it has to be you have to look at what the purpose of the, the movie is also what your own your own implications towards sin are or your own tendencies towards sin are. So, you know, if you struggle with sin in a certain area and you know, the movie may not necessarily be all about that, but it has an aspect of that that could cause you to sin or cause you to stumble. You want to avoid it, but yeah. 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 And that's where I would land on, on, on much of this. I mean, I, you know, I hear what, what you're saying, Will, with, you know, why did the filmmaker created what's the point of the film and all that. But for me, it really gets down to the individual's heart. What, what are they, what are they enjoying out of this film? I mean, what, one of my favorite movies is God in generals. Uh, I mean, I love me some Stonewall Jackson, but, uh, yeah. but that is, that's a very violent film as well. Of course, the civil war, there's no way to depict it without depicting, uh, uh, just, you know, barbaric butchery and violence and things like it, it was horrible. It was horrible. But, uh, but can you, and, 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 you know, I, I think the, uh, the, movie makers for that uh had the the highest of ambitions and trying to create a a historically legitimate film you know uh that emphasized stonewall jackson and also you know robert e lee and things and and those guys but but someone can still watch that and want to see that historical aspect of it but yet at the same time really really relish those scenes where there is that depiction of violence where they tried to get it historically accurate and they look at it. So, so for me, uh, and again, like you said, Will, if there's sinful tendencies there, that's, that's where we have to guard against. That's really where we have to, uh, to, to watch our hearts. So, so, you know, it's not as easy as just being uh, a fundamentalist legal, uh, legalistic person saying, well, you can't go see movies. You know, it's, it, right. it's not that, that clean and easy. Uh, no, there's a lot that goes down to it and it goes down to the heart. Yeah, Christian liberty uh, is a hard thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is. It has to be guarded. It's like any kind of liberty, any kind of freedom. Uh, unless you guard it, you lose it. Right. And I think that's the same thing we're talking about right here. We need to guard our heart, first of all, mm-hmm. um, if, if it deals with topics we think are beneficial. But again, knowing our own hearts, we can't take that risk. Then, yeah, that's the larger good there. 
I think too, with the media and social media, we need to be, I agree, we need to be discerning and we need to be alert uh, of the, the desensitization of our, of our minds and our, our, what we see and what we, what we uh, get accustomed to. They, 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 they want to desensitize us to that stuff and change the definitions of, of, uh, of words or acts that go against the original uh, intent of the definition. Yeah, George Orwell. Yeah. So the next, uh, there's a, there's 12 and I know we're you know, trying to press for time, but I'm going to just, there's one more I'd really like to highlight and then I'll just kind of go over the other ones. Uh, the next one is integrity. And that was an interesting one, because when you first think of integrity, you think of it from a moral perspective. But this is actually talking about it in a literal perspective. Mm -hmm. By this term, we do not refer to moral integrity, but to the integrated oneness of human nature. Yeah. We can speak of man's parts and distinguish aspects of God's image from others. But we must remember that God created man as a whole being in his image. This world tries to drive wedges between our bodies and morality, our, our, excuse me, our intellectual lives and faith and our emotions and obedience. The result is fragmentation. We must seek to understand and help people in the full complexity of their physical, mental, moral, vocational, and relational lives. Above all, we must teach people to direct every aspect of their lives toward glorifying God. That was, that was a beautiful, beautiful uh, implication that I found. I think more than all the other ones, I think that one hit home to me the most. Because growing up, I grew up in a charismatic background. Growing up, there was this kind of divide. It wasn't intentional, I don't think, but it, there was a divide between your spiritual life and your the rest of your life. And if you weren't, you know, going full time into ministry, you were somehow less than, you know, the ones who were. And but the one thing I found the most beautiful about the reform tradition and Martin Luther really started fleshing this out at the beginning of the Reformation was that this idea of vocation, everybody was gifted with certain abilities and talents to, for the glory of God, being an attorney for the glory of God, being a soldier for the glory of God. Um, all of our lives should be lived toward the glory of God, not just our church life. And especially as men, Everything. I don't know about you guys, but I have a real tendency towards compartmentalization. You know, mm -hmm. I compartmentalize my life into certain categories, but in reality, there is an integrity to the image of God. There's an integrity that every aspect of our lives should be lived to the glory of God. Every aspect of our, our intellect, our emotions, our um, spirituality, our physicality, all of it needs to be for the glory of God. What do you guys think? I think that's a binding theme of chapter 12, my chapter as well. Uh, but I agree. I agree. Uh, it, it is, a, it, it is, a, a, the, uh, it is body and soul together. Uh, yep. it is, a, it, it is a holistic integrated uh, aspect of that, uh, to where the soul is constantly in the process of, of, of controlling the body and to the degree that it can and is, and, and the goals and purposes are aligned, uh, that's a matter of integrity. Now, in, in a natural sense, we think of it as someone who is stable, uh, well-balanced, things like that. But in a spiritual sense, uh, we think of someone like that as a person, uh, Will, as you said, 
uh, basically, who's living in the glory of God, who realizes that uh, he lays himself out, as, as Paul says, as a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is his reasonable service. Amen. And I agree with you, Will. We are kings of compartmentalization. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the next few, I'm just going to run through them. There's equality. You know, because we are all created in, in God's image, we are all equal with each other. Uh, there's this equality belongs to genders, ethnic groups and classes within society. It, those are all differences among us, but we're all created with the same level of equality because we were all created in God's image. Benevolence. Uh, we're the image of God is a potent motive to do good to all men. Authority. We have the right to engage in agricultural and industry arises directly from the dominion of God's image bearers over the world. God was, had given us authority to exercise dominion from at the beginning of creation. Stewardship. This is a big one. The image of God is not God. Man rules as God's servant king and therefore is a royal steward of God's possessions. These aren't our possessions. These are God's possessions that he has given to us to steward well for his glory. Amen. Uh, morality. At the heart of the image of God stands knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Though these qualities were destroyed in man's fall, mankind remains a moral agent. Atrocity. The great value of man in God's image clarifies why human wickedness is such an atrocity. We are not offended by the savagery of the tiger or the shark with its prey, although we may grieve because they were not originally creatures of violence. However, when we seek men treating men like beasts, see, when we see men treating men like beasts, something within us says these things ought not to be. Uh, and finally, destiny. We are created in God's image. Man exists for God's glory. The meaning of this is manifold, but we have seen that a golden thread running through the whole is the idea of sonship. God made us to know him, fellowship with him, obey him, and honor him as his created sons. So our destiny, which is the summation of the catechism, is, is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, practically speaking, going back to the one you gave, the, the one before the last one, you think of atrocity and what we're seeing in our world today and how there's just no, uh, well, you, you often hear this, you know, this sort of saying that, that, that someone will treat a man no better than they would treat a dog. And that's, that's talking about a dog in the old days. In other words, you know, back there, you know, when I was younger, or even past that, uh, you know, to, to, to shoot a dog, to kill a dog that was sick. I mean, no one really gave it a second thought. And, uh, but again, that's another conversation. And, and like Beaky pointed out, we should take care of, of what God has given us creation. So, you know, you shouldn't treat an animal like they're nothing, but yet at the same time, you shouldn't treat a man like he's an animal. Uh, right. so, we're seeing that so much today and you see the news footage and things like that, just the most heinous things, violent things happening to, to what we would think are, are the most innocent in our culture. Of course we, we know, and we think about abortion, but then you, you go to the other end of the spectrum and you, you think about the old elderly lady who's barely getting around. And, and, and I've actually seen uh video clips of this where, 
where an individual will just come walking up the sidewalk and 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 sucker punch an old lady, yeah. you know, yeah. knock her down. And, it used to be and, a game, an urban game. Really? Yeah, well, yeah. Oh, I don't know. Man. I don't know if it ever showed up in Gloucester or not. Will, you're familiar with what I'm talking about? Yeah. In New York City, it was. It, you, actually yep. get, you actually got points for it. It's oh, kind my. of like a gang initiation thing, too. Right. Yeah. Mm. But you know, you you have to ask. Okay, well, where where is any sort of resemblance of the doctrine of man being created in the image of God in any of that? There's no consideration whatsoever. Hmm. All right. Well, well, we appreciate you walking us through that, Will. And so, yeah, thank you, so Will. we want to sort of turn the curve here, turn the corner here. And uh, and as as Will has so wonderfully laid this out for us, uh, the systematic and the practical aspects of, of of the image of God. When we talk about man being created in the image of God, we cannot get away from this 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 subject that is so prevalent today where we talk about gender and we talk about sexuality. And as I said at the beginning, Scripture is very clear in Genesis that God created man, male and female. So, Mike, you want to help us out with that? What When we think about that, when we think about uh, what is the biblical teaching on gender, we think about maybe some controversies about it. And even as you get down into aspects, not just of gender, but of of human sexuality, you know, what, what does scripture teach about sex? What should we, what should we believe about homosexuality? I mean, that's a, that's a big thing today. I mean, so big that we just took a, a few Lord's days, a couple of them to look at that yeah. here recently. Yep. Yeah. Um, first of all, I, I'll start off with this chapter for all, for those that are listening to this uh, chapter 11, I would recommend this as reading for everybody. Uh, I've read it. I've gone through it a couple of times and it's, it's uh, definitely, it's, it's informative and it gives you a lot to think about. Um, but when I first started off and, and reading this and looking at it, um, the first thing I, I did is that went through my mind was I, the question in the, in the catechism, uh, uh, how, how did God create man? God created man, male and female after his own image and knowledge, righteousness and holiness with dominion over the creatures. And then, as you've already uh, quoted many times uh, already this morning, uh, in Genesis uh, 1, 26 through 28, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the uh, heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image and the image of God. He created him, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the seas, over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing on the earth. And then in Genesis, and this is kind of a, a summary of things, but it, my discussion will build on all of this. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up in its place with flesh and the rib that the Lord had God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken of man, out, out of man. Um, and then therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh and that, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Uh, I think this 
these scripture verses are a good summary and a, a good starting point uh, for this discussion here on, on uh, chapter 11, dealing with uh, the gender and sexuality of man. Um, but, for, you know, I want to start off with first, if, if for an individual that doesn't believe uh, in the Bible, doesn't believe in God, uh, you know, it, it's critical. I mean, the, having believing in the in the uh, in the truth of the Bible, believing in God and how we look at creation forms how we how we look at life and the rest of what's in the Bible, and how we and our interpretation of, of of what we see in the read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. I like what. uh uh, Beaky said in his introduction, he said the first two chapters of Genesis, chapter one and chapter two, lay the foundation for a Christian view of sex, marriage and family. And that's what this is all about. It's about sex, marriage and family um, uh, is God's uh, uh, God's revelation of his original creation. This part of the Bible uh, is a is paradigmatic for understanding God's will for humanity. So these verses lay out what God's will, God's uh, revealed will is for man, man being both male and female. Uh, And as you mentioned, Van, this this topic does stir up a lot of controversy. And in our world today, I mean, there's a a blatant uh, uh, divergence from the biblical teaching to uh, relying that morals are relative, Mm -hmm. uh, which is moral relativism. And then the the only thing that really counts is that if, if all this stuff is done in love, you know, you see the science, you know, love is love. Or if, if, if it's a, if it's a consenting individual, it's okay because love is love and we're, we're, we're consenting individuals. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's just perverting the, uh, as we talked about in uh, chapter 10 and the earlier chapters, it's, it's perverting the, the, uh, that were created in the image of God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and Mike, if I could just point out something that really had a huge impact on me on page 210, <clears throat> about in the middle of the page, uh, I'll just read this. And then I want to throw out two questions to you all that uh, these were questions I had that again, really impactful for me, but Beaky says this, he says, and this is under the section gender identity and the two biological sexes. So we're talking about biology. Uh, we're going to be talking about, you know, parts, uh, you know, biology, what makes, you know, uh, part wise, biologically wise, someone a boy, someone a girl. So Beaky says this, he says, gender is not merely a personal mindset or a social construct, but an aspect of God's fixed order and creation. Since the words translated as male and female are used of animals as well as humans, gender has a biological component firmly rooted in the physical body. This implies that the gender of each person corresponds to his or her physical sex as male or female. Therefore, it is not helpful to assign a person a gender identity different from his or her genitalia because of biological observations about the person's brain or some personality tendencies more commonly found in the opposite sex. Now, the thing that jumped out to me, and you guys please comment on this, first of all, with the animals, you know, that aspect that there's no debate there. I mean, when you take an animal to a vet and that vet looks at the animal, he or she looks at 
some body aspect of the animal to find out, are we dealing with a male or are we dealing with a female? Correct. Yeah, right. Absolutely. So, so that's one thing that stood out to me is that, is that in the animal world, it is very, very clear. We know if we're dealing with a male dog, we know if we're dealing with a female dog, because we look at the body parts that God has given to them, assigned to them. Now, <clears throat> here's the bigger thing that really jumped out to me because of what Beaky said there. And I haven't really thought about this before, but maybe you guys can comment on this. If, if sex, sexual gender identity should not be tethered to the body parts that I have, then why is it when people do want to transgender and they want to cross over to a different gender, why is there so much of a push and so much of an effort to take on the body parts of that other gender? In other words, if I'm male wanting to transition to female, why am I taking boatloads of estrogen? Why am I having surgery done on myself uh, to manipulate my body so that it looks like a female's body. If, if gender is not associated with biology and, and we can cut that chain, we can, we can free ourselves from that. Then why the push that in, in my mindset, if I'm there, if I'm, if I'm not male, if I'm female, why the push now to, to get the body parts that look female? I well, go ahead, Mike. I, I, you know, I, I'll give a, uh, like I'll, I'll start off by just giving a, just right off the top. It's all about, uh, it's all about money. It's all about the, uh, the money that's made from the, the drugs and, and, uh, and the procedure they go through. But you, we got to remember too, that the people pushing this and, and they're, they're taking that, that, that emotional feelings that the individual has and they're, and they're, they're building upon that and saying, well, yeah, you, then, you know, you need to do this. They're, they're, in, they're, they're reversing uh, the roles, uh, the biblical roles that God has intended for male and for the, fe- uh, and the female. So the, they, they're doing that because first of all, they, they are, they are not, they are not, um, uh, they, they are not a, a Christian. They are, they are a simple individual that is misleading an individual that's coming in there and say, Hey, I feel this way. And they're going after feelings and emotions versus the, the, uh, the, the, the physical aspect of what's going on here. Let's look at this. Let's ask questions. Uh, Let's get counseling because you were created. God didn't make a mistake when he created us male and female. It was his divine plan that we be a male or and or a female and that we are, we are equal with one another. Um, and I, I think it goes back. I mean, uh, we, again, it goes back. We are, we are created in the image of God. And so that, so that means that, that we have, I mean, that, that sets the ground of the, uh, the equal dignity. I mean, we have equal dignity uh, as men and women, and it's and it's injustice uh, to 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 do harm to the body because we are created in the image of God. Uh, uh, and, and I say harm. I mean, I mean, change the body or uh, you know the the murder take, uh, taking a life without cause or even verbal abuse. And I. And I go back, you know, it brought back memories of your, your earlier uh, sermons, messages, uh, Van, 
but uh, whoever sheds blood of, uh, of man by man shall his own blood be shed for God made man in his own image. And then uh, in, in James uh, with it, it is talking about the tongue. We bless our Lord and father and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. I mean, and uh, just from the, my reading and studying uh, this, this week on that, I mean, I, you just think about it, boy, when I, you know, if you think about something that's uh, bad or, or, against individual or say something, I mean, you are, you are, you are uh, cursing or you are criticizing uh, uh, someone that has created the image of God, uh, a fellow um, uh, um, uh, individual, uh, a human being who should be treated with dignity and love, regardless of our differences. Um, mm -hmm. So that's what I would say. It's, it's that, that's why people go after their, their, we live in a fallen world. And one thing that jumped out at me in this stuff too, it said when it, when it talks about like the, 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 you have the uh, feminism, you have the uh, uh, homosexuality, and then you have the transgender. Um, they're all linked. They all, they all have, they all flow into one another, but yet they're separate and distinct, but yet it's, um, you know, God's given them over to, uh, especially when it talks about the, 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 uh, the homosexuality talks, he's given them over to a depraved man, mind. And that's indication of God's wrath is, is being, uh, is, is placed on them. So I, I would say that those individuals that, that promote that, you know, the, the, the wrath of God is on them as well. So, I mean, I don't know if that answered your question, but that's, that's kind of how I would answer that. <laughs> No, I, I, I think, uh, Van, to answer your question, uh, I think it's a case of them hijacking a Christian worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, in other words, there is something about the embodiment. Uh, they realize that it's not just uh, mentally and emotionally that they feel, let's say a man, for instance, feels himself to be a woman. But there is also an aspect of a way a woman in embodiment relates to the world uh, that is, uh, that is attractive to them. Well, that's exactly what we're saying. <laughs> it's just that, uh, it, it's just that, uh, he is trying to art, uh, he is trying to artificially, uh, assume that position, uh, uh, and to, uh, and to enjoy the benefits of it without actually really, uh, putting himself under the guidance and the structure of that as, as well. I mean, it's a part of the larger scheme, I think, of, uh, of, the, of the idea of, of expendable people. I mean, I think mm -hmm. that you see this in gay marriage. I think you see this in this as well. I mean, there, uh, there is, uh, we for a long time have, uh, well, Japan has actually gone to zero replacement. In other words, uh, there are more people in uh, there are more people in Japan uh, right now. I mean, they they uh, they're not reproducing to the point of replacing the population. So it grows older, it diminishes, uh, and all that. I, I think we I think we see that in our in our country as well. I mean, it is a deliberate it is a deliberate attempt to destroy a society, uh, in which not only do you forsake the natural use of your body in the terms of uh, uh, reproducing or procreating, uh, but also drawing others into that world as well to the point to where we build uh, a pretend, a brave new world, a, a pretend universe where uh, 
where we can construct it of our own. Uh, and it just, it, it has no stop. Um, mm-hmm. again, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I am, I am continually bewildered that it has gotten to the point now. Uh, I mean, I don't have children in school anymore, but my understanding is, uh, uh in Gloucester high school and also in Matthews high school as well, you actually, you actually have to make accommodations for kids uh, that identify as animals. Mm. I mean, in a sense, yeah. I mean, uh, it, it sounds ludicrous, but it's actually the case. Uh, and, and I don't know what a clearer demonstration of of, uh, of Romans one is, uh, <coughs> to where we devolve to the point to where uh, it is the last token of, of divine judgment upon a people. They will no longer survive. Well, Mike, before we uh, we we head over to to Marvin helping us to think about uh, the Constitution of Man, would you mind just touching for a moment upon uh, sexual activity? Uh, this is a huge, huge issue in our society. Uh, obviously, we've seen uh, what what some have called the the the, the pornification of our society. Uh, we we talked about it, uh, touching on it in the aspect of the uh, 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 talking about the dignity of man and things like that. We talked about uh, the uh, the sex slave trade and 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 all that. So our our society has a very sinful and a very skewed view of what sex is, why it is created, what it's there for, and and the actual use and function of it. So, Mike, would you help us? sort of grab on to, you know, what is a biblical view of, uh, of sex and, and sexuality? How should we view that in a way that would be pleasing to God? Okay. Well, for, first of all, the Bible is not shy about this discussion as, as he alluded to in his, in his brief summary uh, of this introductory to this topic. And I guess I would sort of just to talk, talk, summarize, I go back to the Genesis where he talks about a, for, for that reason, a man will, will leave his, um, his father and his mother and will join or cleave to, and, and they will become one flesh. Um, that, that's the whole, the, the fact that the, the, male, the male is leaving his family and he's, and he's joining or he's cleaning or he, he is like uh, adhering uh, to the woman that that's that's the uh, that's the formation of another family. So you know that's that's laying out God's plan for family and for marriage and for uh, uh, reproduction. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 a new family is formed within that within that oneness that, that they share that 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 oneness which they share and 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 in you know and Biki says two ways. You know, there's the, the relational and then there's the, the sensual. But uh, they they have that bond, um, and then there's the uh, uh, re- the, uh, the 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 joy or the gift of of, of uh, sex uh, that is in within marriage confines of marriage, and uh, so the Bible clearly lays it out. God has said it's within confines of marriage for uh, for for uh, if if the blessing of children. And I, I like the way uh, I'll go through it real quick, but. Uh, uh, the see talks about what one caution he does give um, 
you know, first of all, we need to see, we need to realize that children are a heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb and, and is his reward. Um, but then he says, if you try to enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse while despising the thought of children, then you're tearing apart what joint, what God has joined together. So I mm-hmm. thought that was very interesting for it that, that he said that, that he brought that up. So the fact is when you come together and in, in, in the family and marriage, uh, that's the, uh, the, 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 the conditions for uh, the, the, the sexual uh, uh, union of a couple. Uh, and not, and not and to, to, to have uh, sex outside of marriage, uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's sinful uh, and it's wrong. The Bible is very clear on that. And it, uh, it, it, uh, it tears apart the, uh, the, uh, by the husband and the wife, but um, uh, the uh, he, on the uh, rational, the relational. So he says uh, the pers- uh, the second perspective on sexuality is that we find in Genesis relational, and then the first one was the reproductive. And on the uh, re- relational, um, he says God ordained context for sexual activity. Uh, man will leave his father and mother and cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Uh, and then again, that, that indicates a new household, a new uh, father and a mother, uh, the cleaning, the adhe- uh, adhesion to them is, is that they, they are inseparable. Uh, they have a covenantal relationship and 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 their union. Um, and he says, uh, sex is not a casual, and this is on page 217, sex is not a casual encounter for the sake of pleasure, an exploratory exercise to see how compatible two people are, a mere expression of affection and attraction. Sex belongs to the covenantal relationship between one man and one woman, a beautiful aspect of the companionship and partnership guarded, guarded by the bond of solemn lifelong commitment. And I think in our society, you know, that one point has been perverted uh, with this, with, with this, uh, um, with the current thought, it's like, let the individuals and, and it's in, it's, and I say it's getting into the, uh, you know, I, I don't have any children in, in, uh, in school now, but I, I would say that it's probably at least maybe even in the elementary, but definitely in like junior high and high school area, experiment around and, and see what you like before you make a commitment uh, one way or the other. That, that's just, that, that is just, that is, that is wrong. It is, it is sinful. So you have these individuals, they're telling them to experiment around and whatever feels good or gives them the, the, the highest of high, that's what they need to proceed as far as in their, their sexual uh, pleasures or attractiveness. And uh, so it perverts uh, the gift of sex that God has uh, uh, given a man. And he says, uh, sex is a good and beautiful gift from God that if shared in the context of committed love strengthens the marriage relationship. So if it's outside a marriage relationship, there's, there's really no, no, uh, no commitment, uh, and no, no, really no strong bond. Uh, it's all emotions and, and feeling. Um, and uh, scripture, what the, uh, he goes in and he, Give some, uh, I'll just summarize these. Uh, uh, scripture rebukes those who practice promote sex outside of marriage of one man and one woman. Uh, sex in marriage is not 
unclean in God's sight. However, sex outside of marriage is forbidden. Adultery is a violation of marriage, co the marriage covenant by engaging in sexual activity with an outsider. And, you know, the, he brings in Old Testament law and New Testament law, um, uh, or uh, what the New, Old Testament, New Testament say about this subject. He references Moses uh, forbidding, 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 uh, forbidding premarital sex. Um, uh, and then uh, he goes into uh, the West, the, you know, he cites the Westminster Confession, uh, offers this summary of the biblical purses, purpose of marriage. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife for the increase of mankind with a legitimate issue and of the church with a holy seed and for preventing uh, of uncleanness. And so that's one thing that I thought that, that really, when you thought, when I'm thinking about, you know, Adam and Eve and the fall and, and the, the charge he gave them about uh, um, to be fruitful and multiply. Uh, the It's just uh, the, the uh, just how, how in, within marriage uh, and just how the, the sexual union within marriage being the proper, uh, uh, the proper, uh, uh, foundation, the pro uh, environment. I, I, I'm not sure. I, I'm looking for the right word, but the proper, proper aspect for for enjoying sex, uh, the gift from gift from the gift of God is within marriage, and then just how that when uh, in the fall, uh, you know, Adam uh, was the the head, and Adam took the blunt for, as a representative for all mankind. Uh, Eve was for childbearing, but also in, in the saving and going through uh, both of them as partners uh, uh, were, were equal in the in the in what God promised as far as the, the salvation. But she, especially in, in the uh, new bringing in the, the seed, uh, the holy seed. And I thought that was that, that to me, that was uh, I, I very um, uh, impact. Uh, imp impactful in this. Um, and then I guess the one thing I would say when we look at Old Testament, New Testament, the New Testament uh, pretty much reinforces what's in the Old Testament. And when you look at what, uh, you know, like what Paul said and what Jesus quoted, they're, they're going back and they threw out their, they, they, they quote what was said in the Old Testament. Um, so let's see the the new and I'm on page 221 now. The New Testament reaffirms this Old Testament law, proving that it was a an abiding moral significance for all peoples. Paul writes in First Timothy that God's law, that God's law, is contrary to the sins of mankind, including them that defile themselves with mankind. And that you know that gets into to you know the, all the the sins that we've talked about up to now. But I guess one thing that I want to highlight that we haven't really touched on is, and all this with the the man and the woman and the union, um, is the uh, the you know the authority that the man has, but that the that the woman uh, is is created an image of God, but she's equal with the man, but she, for lack of a better word, she completes the the man so that he can uh, obtain his full. Uh, realization and 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 the role and the responsibility he has as the the male is the head of the of the family is the uh, um, head of the household and uh, and uh, 
and they and they and and the representative of the family. So I thought that I think that's very important when you start looking at uh, at at the at what Bible says about uh, uh, the the uh, sexual uh, uh, activity uh, uh, within the confines of marriage and outside of marriage. So. I kind of rambled on a little bit about that. Uh, questions or thoughts on what I said? Yeah, no, I, definitely. I mean, you you definitely covered that. And one of the things that, that I want to go back to is really one of the first things you said. Uh, what Beaky says on page 216, he says, if, if you try to enjoy sexual intimacy with your spouse while despising the thought of bearing children, then you are tearing apart what God has joined together. And yeah. I think that is a good point. And, and again, something that really impacted me that I never really put those two together, that the, the, this is God's precious gift that he has given to us within the confines of marriage. Hebrews says, let the marriage bed be honorable. So it is given to us. Uh, scripture is very clear about uh, our, our bodies. Our bodies are given over to our spouses. Their, their bodies are given over to us. So there's a lot of talk about that. But also God has used this as a means for procreation, that these things should, this should be for our enjoyment as a marriage couple, but also to bring children into the family. And if, and if you're wanting one without the other, you're going against the design God gave. I've got to be real quick just to say, because the question about birth control comes up and Beaky deals with that right after yeah. He mentions yeah. that statement. And so yeah. I just, because people have this question and I, what I want to do, I just want to read these five points he has very quickly because people ask that question, what about birth control? And I think he's got a very, very balanced view of it. So let me just read these. He says, number one, any method of birth control that could destroy a life already conceived in the womb should be rejected as potential murder. And that mm-hmm. is true. Those type of uh, abortion aids are called, uh, uh, oh my goodness, uh, uh, abortifacients. That's what they're called. Yeah. And so yeah. that would that would take an already conceived uh, embryo, the, the sperm and the egg have already come together and conceived and it's implanted, you know, on the wall of the uterus. And that medication would, would kill that, conceived child that we would hold to that as a conceived child so number two the bible does not condemn all birth control and it may be the best part of wisdom and love to use it in certain situations such as when a wife is recovering from childbirth or is plagued by medical or psychological problems number three we must not legislate or judge each other on the issue of birth control beyond what scripture says lest we be guilty of legalism rather we must allow each couple to study God's word and prayerfully decide for themselves according to their situation. Number four, we must not allow selfishness, materialism, or other man-centered motives to drive us to unnecessarily limit the size of our families, but prayerfully see God's greatest glory in man's greatest good, even at our expense. And I think that would be the driving one for our society because so often the decision about birth control and, and, and childbirth and, and family planning is based upon that just pure rank materialism. Yeah. And then number five, uh, we are called to let the Lord be Lord over every area of our life. Will, this is exactly what you were talking about earlier, brother, no compartmentalization to be Lord over every area of our life, including the size of our family. Will, you got any comments on any of those? Yeah, this is an interesting topic. This is actually something that 
they went over at Liberty in their, in their family law at Liberty law school. I should be more clear. Um, uh, in the family law section, this was a big debate at Liberty. They, you know, there was definitely some people who were there who had what's commonly referred to as a quiverful, mm-hmm. uh, mentality, uh, basically, you know, God opens the womb and God closes the womb and, you know, they don't, there's no, um, family planning beyond that where they just, you know, however many kids God chooses to bless them with is, is, is fine. And, and they would even say, there was even this push to say that that's actually the mandate is that you have to do that. Um, and then there's the other aspect that I think is primarily motivated by material. I wouldn't say materialism wholesale, but more than anything, financial stability to limit how many kids you have to probably two. Um, and that I think is also, I I think those are kind of both ditches on either side of this issue. And, um, I, I really appreciate that, you know, this is the Bible isn't clear on how many kids you're supposed to have, mm-hmm. but the Bible is clear on stewardship and we are to be good stewards of the resources that God has given us and that children are also a blessing from the Lord. So how do you balance stewardship and, you know, and the blessing that is children? Um, and so I, I know that, we want to not focus on materialism and greed, but I think that is also an important factor to consider. You know, if you're having so many children that you're on food stamps, you know, I'm, I'm not saying again, this is everybody's their own. Um, this is a Christian Liberty thing. There is no, there is no, like this is sin. This is not a sin, but I can definitely see where you have limited resources and you want to make sure that you are, providing for your family well and being a good steward with those resources. Um, so you want to make sure that prayerfully you, you, there is, there could be a, I could see a family having a limit on how many kids they're having just based on the fact, based on their limited resources. Um, mm-hmm. Especially if you've grown up in poverty, you, I could see somebody straying towards that. Um, but so I was just curious as to what your thoughts were on that. I mean, I definitely agree with biological or psychological issues. You know, postpartum depression is a real thing. And if if your wife struggles with that or just real regular depression and, you know, that places an undue burden on your spouse to continue to have children, then you may want to limit how many children you have. You may want to have prayerfully consider that. Um but I am curious what your thoughts are as far as the stewardship aspect goes towards your resources and and how many children you have. Is that an open question or is that yeah. directed? It's an open question. Yeah. Yeah. I, okay. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think this gets into a larger issue of the uh, of the uh, of the creation mandate of dominion. Um, this uh, to have to have twelve children in biblical times, and to have twelve children, twelve children even in this country up to probably the first quarter of the twentieth century, was a different was a different thing. I mean, it was primarily an agricultural 
uh, in agricultural society. So whenever you had children, they either were helping in the family enterprise, whether it's a farm, small business, whatever it is, uh, or they were caring for the for the for the uh, small children while the rest of the rest of the people were at hand. I, I think where you begin to see this uh, change and where it really becomes a crisis, at least in America, is with the urbanization of America, because you no longer have that. You have people actually that are housed uh, uh, in uh, multi-house, uh, multi-occupant uh, dwellings. Uh, you have those that not only uh, don't have uh, I- I- industry or enterprises to which they can set their children, uh, but again, I mean, there's there is even a reward actually for having more of them, uh, even to the point of actually throwing the father out of the house. Um, and just uh, doing that and just proceeding in that regard. So in terms of stewardship, I, I think again, I think that's not a I think that's not a bad thing, will. I, I think uh, and I can't remember the reformers, but the reformers really helped us in that sense of because the the position you're describing basically uh, is a Roman Catholic position uh, where, contraception basically is a rhythm method you just you know count days uh but i think the reformers actually brought us to the point to where sex is more than procreation it actually is the enriching of a relationship between a husband and a wife in other words uh it, it is a it it is a marital builder uh and as such it makes that particular part of the union uh, more solid uh, which is a benefit not only to them, but to the entire family. Um, at that point then, uh, I guess you do have a practical question about, well, how many is, how many is too many? And, and again, I mean, I don't, it's one of those things we often wrestle with. And I know we, we talk about, I don't want to lay the limit for everybody. I mean, I, 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 I have double, uh, well, I actually, that's not true. I have double what Mike and Dan do, but I'm, I don't, yeah. Uh, 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 Will, I mean, our goal actually was to, uh, was to uh, follow the the model that you and Natalie are, are following there in terms of just popping them out like that. Um, but again, I think Manda kind of changed our, our, yeah. our, our tune on that. Uh, and, and, uh, but again, that's a part of the larger issue of, Okay, at a certain point, you need to keep the larger the larger question in mind: uh, the family unit itself. I mean, uh, first of all, sexual expression is uh, the very core of the marriage relationship. But also, in terms of uh, uh, the procreation, I mean, how much? Uh, how what can we do that will actually that will actually benefit the family? Right. Yeah. You know, I, I think for us, we we have four kids and yeah. um, I ended up having a procedure to limit yep. our gotcha. ability to procreate after that. And, yeah. uh, and mostly that was due to the fact that um, some of it was economical. Like at the time I was the only uh, breadwinner. My wife wasn't working right. right? and I work in government, so I'm not making bank as an attorney. Um, but also, um, that was one factor, but another factor was that, um, after our fourth child, my wife had some serious, um, medical complications 
during the last pregnancy and there was, um, yeah, there was some, right after Noel was born, there was a lot of complications with her, um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but just right. some medical complications that yep. made us really, yep. there's, there's, a, there's definitely a toll on, on your wife's body after oh, each birth. And, um, just based on all of that, we, we prayed about it and decided mm -hmm. like this was it after Noel. Yeah. yeah. And that's kind I, of the same I, thing we did as well. Yeah. Yeah. I think the thing, what, what, how I look at it is in, in our society, we, we need to be, uh, we need to be good stewards, but we need to make sure that uh, decisions we make are being made for, uh, for lack of better words, jealous, self-centered reasons. Like I want to keep up with the Joneses. So I want to be right. able to have, you know, two cars and a boat and a jet ski uh, in my garage. Uh, so uh, therefore I can't have um, uh, a third or fourth uh, child. I mean, that that's, that's the wrong logic and wrong way to approach it. I mean, um, so that, that's the caution, I think, that, that we need to that we don't uh, we don't make decisions based on keeping up with worldly uh, viewpoints or worldly standards. Yeah. yeah. And I would say too, Mike, that that is not an issue of stewardship. I would say that's that's an issue of materialism right there. I yeah. think, you know, as right. Will talked about, do I have do I make enough to feed my family? That's family, an issue yeah. of stewardship. So if the conversation is, is like, well, you know, honey, I don't know if our paycheck can stretch to provide yeah. clothing and shelter and food, you know, your basic necessities of life for another child versus the conversation. Well, honey, you know, we love to travel every year internationally, you know, we love to do these things and, yeah. and, and, you know, I'm saving for, like you said, you know, that boat, we always go to a boat <laughs> as an example. Sorry, all you boat owners out there, <laughs> but yeah, but uh, so so that would be materialism. That would be selfishness, right there. So those are those are two very different things. I think even yeah. Beaky addresses that 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 we we do have to use wisdom and and those things. But yet we should let materialism, not stewardship, but materialism, crowd out uh, the view of consideration of having children. Yeah. Before we move on to the next chapter, I I, I think uh, there's there's uh. uh Two uh, uh, short paragraphs, I say short. Yeah, they are short on page 226 that I think just sums up this whole issue of gender, gender identity. Um, and um, that I that I think would be uh, pertinent to read if, if I may have permission to read those two sure. paragraphs. Um, uh, God is the creator and Lord of all. Our identity is found in being created the image of God, Genesis 1.26. Therefore, our lives are defined by how we relate to God and his word. We must resist the attempt to make our feelings into our identity and instead learn our identity from our creator. Rather than saying I am homosexual or I am a heterosexual, we should say I am a man or a woman created the image of God for his glory but fallen into sin. Butterfield says you cannot repent of sexual orientation since sexual orientation is an artificial category built upon a faulty pr uh, premise. Mm. Denny Burke writes, in God's world, we are, we are who God says we are. We are not merely the sum total of our fallen sexual desires. The most basic question about our identity are not how do I feel and what do I want, 
but how am I related to God as a sinner in Adam or a saint in Christ? And how am I representing God as his living image by obeying his word? These are the questions that transcend the matter of homosexuality and even sexuality itself and engage our whole persons for the glory of God. We must remember that sex and marriage are temporary gifts that end with physical death and will be uh, superseded when Christ raises us from the dead. We are made for something far greater, spiritual union with the God of glory. Uh, wonderful, wonderful. Well, looking at the clock, brothers, we are just about out of time. Marvin, brother, would you be offended if we rolled your chapter on to the next time and you'll be the first one we kick off with? Sure, that'd be that that would that would be fine. Uh, we will do that because again, I, I I would like to talk about that chapter. I yeah. think it I think it wraps up the other two chapters quite nicely. Yeah. Uh, wanna... In other words, we we've talked about the theological aspect of this. The, uh, the practical question is, okay, body and soul, what are they? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> is, We're is, getting is, down to the it, nuts it, and bolts. Exactly. And also, it's a it's a big issue in uh, in intelligence and, and particularly artificial intelligence. So, uh, mm -hmm. good. Well, yeah, we'll roll it. Yeah. Okay, great. So, next time, Lord willing, we will... Uh, uh, we'll look at doing four chapters, okay, in our summation. So we'll do our new three that we always do customarily, three chapters. But we will start off with your chapter on the uh, the the constituent aspects uh, of man. So, uh, so Lord willing, we will do that uh, next time. And, guys, thank you all so much. Awesome conversation. Really, really good. Lots to talk about. Lots we did talk about and lots more we could have talked about. And as I believe Mike said earlier, uh, get the book, uh, read the book along with us. Beaky has so much more information in there that, that we can't cover. Uh, and it's very, very edifying. So any last words before, uh, Will, could I ask you to pray for us at the end? But any last words before we uh, pray and then get off of here for today? Nope. All right. Hearing none. <laughs> okay. We'll go ahead, brother. Close us out, please. Father, thank you for this time studying uh, uh, the doctrines about the image of God and how you've created us. Lord, I pray that these would be more than doctrines to us, but Lord, that we would help these realities about who we are to become, to permeate our mind and into our hearts, Lord. I pray that we would now look through life through the lens of scripture and through how you would have us to see each other and to see ourselves and father let our ultimate aim not be to seek our own desires but to seek to glorify you in everything that we do in jesus name amen 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 well thank you so much brothers and lord willing we will see you next time <laughs>